live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of entertainment, so we definitely want to talk that movies, TV, and comics talk that you know from the ODPH. But we're saying after the show, make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on our social media accounts where we'd like to keep the conversation rolling all weekend long. You can check out the Parley Point section. New comics blogs drop today. Stacked lineup coming from Boom Studios. Just putting that out there. Boom is killing it right now. So you definitely want to go check that out before you head over to the LCS this week. Uh, the T Public Store, the Directory, the Classifieds, anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, Pat, can you believe that we're almost at the end of season one? Uh, yeah, it is hard to believe just because, you know, while Ms. Marvel has been coming out and it has been fantastic, it was, I, I want to say, flying a little bit under the radar because it had the much larger uh, plane, you know, flying device, whatever you want to say, overhead in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. It was overshadowed a little, little bit. Not yeah, much, a little bit. A little bit, but obviously when Obi-Wan came out, that took a lot of the pop culture audience away from the MCU to start. Mm-hmm. But Miss Marvel, the latest entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney+, Plus, is almost at its completion and yeah. has been such a refreshing surprise. Yeah. Definitely a cool vibe to it. Definitely an all-ages show that you, you should be watching. I think it's done very, very, very well. Aman Vellani is playing the title character, uh, Kamala Khan, and her journey into becoming a superhero has been very different than the comics. Yes. But it's still packing all the emotional points that you can connect with this character who's become one of the fastest rising stars of all Marvel comics. And it's an origin story that feels different, you know, in terms of the formula that has been used, you know, since Iron Man came out or maybe even further back, where it's an origin story, but it doesn't feel so cookie cutter with how they present it and how things move along. Yes, absolutely. So that being said, it's very odd to say we're almost at the end already. Yeah. But season one is only six episodes long. And there is a lot going on with this show, so we're going to give you our spoiler-free statement before we start deep diving after a countdown into episode 5. So if you're new to the ODPH, this is how we do things. We give you that spoiler-free statement, and then we give you time to pause this episode, jump back in the conversation after you've been caught up, or if you just want to stay and get the deep dive information, we say that's perfectly fine with us. We just don't want to spoil anything for anybody. So that said, Pad... Give me your spoiler-free statement on episode five entitled Time and Again. thought it was a really good episode. I really dug the kind of origin story, backstory of how things had gotten to the point we were at. Uh, I've got to say, I did have to like remind myself several times throughout the episode that this wasn't the season finale. Because just the way they were presenting it and the way it was kind of developing and unfolding as you watched felt like a season finale because it was wrapping up, wrapping up plot lines you know, set, felt like it was setting stuff up for season two, you know, but for what it was, it was a very good episode. I thought it was a solid episode. 
I did like the cool twist of where they went to explain Kamala's history with the bongo. Mm -hmm. That I think that now you have a further understanding of what her powers are all about. And I agree with you, this did feel like the season finale. Yeah. This almost had, like, in the sense of Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. and and The Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. where you have these big penultimate episodes. Yeah. That you're like, okay, where are we going from here? Mm -hmm. I had that same vibe with this episode of Miss Marvel. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Just it was a weird choice. But it's kind of an odd choice in the sense of they left it with such a moment and how they set up for the finale, I'll be honest, I don't know if I'm going to be that excited for it Mm -hmm. in the sense of if it's where I think it's going, I almost want to say it kind of feels like a semi-letdown. Okay. But that being said, the spoiler-free talk is done. We give you that countdown, and it's game on. So in three, two, one, pad. What did you really think? Like I said, I thought it was a good episode. You know, I I enjoyed the backstory because, like I said, I don't know all that much about the character outside of, you know, the recent video game that came out. You know, so learning a little bit about how they're portraying her and presenting her in this story was, was cool to see. You know, and it was nice to see those heartfelt moments. But like I said, it's just you, you hit this point and it just felt like they were doing a, the season finale. That just they were wrapping things up, you know, the... We'll, we'll get to it later, but, the, you know, the, the whole scene with the mother and the grandmother and, and the whole thing back in New York, and it was just like, I'm like, all right, this feels like they're finishing things off, but I know there's one more episode. I did like how they did explain Kamala's family history yeah. with starting with India and then going to Pakistan. They've really done a, an excellent job about yeah. bringing her family's legacy to life. Right, and, and I feel like that was one they had to do just because, unlike other, you know, superheroes, superheroines, you can kind of stretch that out over multiple seasons for other heroes. I feel like for this one, it wouldn't quite work, just given the story they're doing. I agree. So I'm glad they they wrapped it up. I am very glad they did, too. And this was a very solid episode. Gave me a little more clarity about the direction we're going with, because if you've read the comics, you know this is a completely different origin. So yep. you, you kind of have to have a little more details to fully understand the motivations of the character. I thought they did that very well here with this episode. But once we got to the quote-unquote ending mm. battle, mm-hmm. the cliffhanger going to the next week, I'm just kind of like, I'm sorry. As a fan of the comics and somebody that's read Doom, or I'm sorry, Damage Control, right? how how are they the big bads? Well, and that's the thing I just can't wrap my head around is because they've been there a couple of times. You know, yeah. They haven't been the clear and present threat throughout the season. You know, kind of like I, I, when I think back to... Uh, the folks with Falcon winter soldier, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole organization, you know, they had, they've been there, but not consistently. And I'll be honest up until that final scene, you know, right before the end of the end of the episode, I legitimately forgot they were a thing because it had been a couple of episodes since we really saw them, you know, and, and the drone showed up and I went, who the fuck? And I legitimately went, who the fuck is that? Like, I was wrong. I'm like, maybe Wilson Fisk, maybe like aim, maybe some like random thing that's got it out for him. And then I re- had to rewind the the episode like 20, 30 seconds because I was like, oh, wait, I think they said who it is. And they said damage control. I'm like, oh, that's right. They're a thing. Yeah, it's just weird to me to see them be what is perceived to be the big bad this year. 
because obviously we've had this great journey of Kamala finding the the bracelet, which gives mm-hmm. her power, the bangle. And this is how they're kind of offsetting the Inhuman Mist from the yeah. comics. Yeah. And you're seeing her literally grow up as a hero before your eyes and getting thrust into this world that she's always been a fan of, but now she is a member of, mm-hmm. you know, whether she wanted to be or not. And how her journey has now literally taken her around the world from New York to Pakistan, or New Jersey to Pakistan. New Jersey to Pakistan, yeah. And now she is back in time in Mm -hmm. a very cool sequence. I will say this because when the clandestine who has been chasing after the bangle to find the way to break the veil of Noor to get back to their dimension, Mm -hmm. finally catch up with her and Najma, who is the head of the clandestine stabs the bracelet Mm -hmm. and thus causing this weird time effect ripple where Kamala goes back to 1942. Yep. And thus, the train sequence that she's been having dreams along with her grandmother Mm -hmm. is now coming to life. And she's in this weird state where she's reliving the memory. Well, I don't know if she's actually there, you know, like she ends up showing up there. Obviously, we saw the last episode. But the way the episode unfurls is that, you know, we start seeing some of the past and what had led up to the moment on the train. But it's not like a Harry Potter or like a movie trope thing where like you see the main character, but nobody in the scene can see them. And it's like they're out of time and they're not really there. So maybe she's seeing all this in her head. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a little confusing to see when she reappears because you have to really pay attention to where everything is going. Because we see her at the initial dream sequence. Then we kind of go back to 1942 India. Mm -hmm. And this is when we finally see Kamala's great-grandmother. Yeah, I had to do a little family tree, family tree thing myself because I'm like, all right, wait, so that's her. We've seen her mom, grandma. Okay, great-grandmother. Yeah, Mewish Hyatt is playing Aisha, who is her great-grandmother, and that is the original possessor of said bangle of power. Well, it's the furthest back that we've seen. Correct. So thus, you're seeing that she is on the run, and she does wind up kind of hiding out with some generosity from mm-hmm. Hassan. Yeah who is played by Fawad Khan. Mm-hmm. And you see their quick love story of that he brings her in. Yep. Obviously, he's being a man, a voice of the people. Yep. And, you know, obviously, one and one happens. You see they finally are married and they're yeah. having a child on. So you're seeing, like, a very nice sequence, you know, in, unfolding here. Well, and that's the one thing I like they did with the episode was they opened with, like, the newsreel, you know, like the 1940s style of news yeah. you used to see, which I thought set up this, the scene and the situation perfectly because... I remember learning about that period of history in in school. Gotta admit, I was a little rusty on some of the details. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, wait, isn't this around the time of Gandhi? And then they show Gandhi's part. I'm like, okay, I gotcha. You know, but that that was wonderfully set up. And that kind of, like, explained everything and set up everything. Like, okay, why is everyone running across the country and panicking and all this craziness going on? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yes, because you're seeing that, obviously... Uh, Aisha and her family are now mm-hmm. trying to escape India and go to Pakistan. Well, what will become Pakistan? I, I think it's like a province, but it's not officially a state yet. Correct. So during this point, though, Najma from the clandestine shows up mm-hmm. and is basically saying, Hey, we've been looking for you. We've been trying to find you. We thought you were dead. Yeah. So you still have the Bengal, right? Ah, great. Let's go. Let's go start our plan. Yes. Yeah, so we can finally go home. And it's one of the situations that. You now have Aisha, who is completely happy with her mm-hmm. new life, mm-hmm. that she doesn't want to go home. It's like a good version of Omni-Man. Yeah. Well put, Pat. Well put. 
So you're seeing that she's now making those plans to have her family escape. But like Najma and the rest of the clandestine have been doing, they've been able to track her down. Mm-hmm. So you do see, I will say, a very cool visual sequence of everybody trying to board the trains to escape yeah. to what's going to become Pakistan. Yep. It's a very intense uh, visuals. Oh, yeah. You know, like I have to oh, say, yeah. so like kudos to the cinematography for this yeah. episode because that just really popped off of just like how dramatic that feeling is, so especially for people that are trying to escape of what is going on in their side, you know, in, in India to go to Pakistan. Yeah. So you, you're definitely getting that emotional impact from that. And then during this very intense scene where you're just seeing the sea of humanity trying to board trains and get out, you do see the Najma has now tracked down Aisha. Again. Yes. And she wants to get the bangle, but the bangle has now been given to her daughter, Sana, mm-hmm. who is Kamala's grandmother. Yep. And, but obviously at this point that she is only five years old, I believe. Uh, give or take, yes. you know, a half of your month's days, however it is, yeah. So Aisha does a, a separation from her, mm-hmm. and you see the Najma and her have this kind of standoff while Hassan and Sana are trying to get to the train, mm-hmm. and Sana gets separated. In this sea of humanity. Yeah, yeah, so this is absolutely wild to see going on. Aisha does get stabbed by Najma yeah. because she's like, listen, if you're not going to help us, we're going to get this bracelet back one way or another. And she does get stabbed, and you see her that she's trying to do as much as she can to guide uh, Hassan and to mm-hmm. uh, Sana to get on the train. Yeah. And then this is where things just get a little crazy because now Kamala is now involved. Right. This is where we see her come through out of the time portal or whatever it is. Yeah. So you see that she is now talking with her great-grandmother to save her grandmother. Yeah, because she thought she was sent back in time to save the great-grandmother. Yes, but no, this is not. This is the reason you're coming back to save your own grandmother. And I think the great-grandmother was hallucinating, thinking she was seeing something or somebody she was familiar with. Because it wasn't one of those, oh, who are you? You look familiar. Like, she recognized her, but, like, in the throes of near death, she was hallucinating. It was like, no, you need to go help uh, Sana. Yeah, Aisha and Kamala are, are really trying to make what they can do. And you do see that this is where... Aisha uses, like, the last of her powers that she has. Because mm-hmm. you remember, she is a member of the clandestine. Yep. To do this uh, star kind of homing device to get to Sana. Mm-hmm. And this is a very cool thing to see. But you do see that Kamala realizes what's going on. And she does wind up connecting Sana back to Hassan. And as they go to off to Pakistan, everybody's saved. Mm-hmm. So thus, suddenly, she's thrusted back to the present. Yep. Albeit, though, she does have a little souvenir, and we'll get to that at, at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And now that she's there, she realizes what is the true factor with the Veil of Noor that the clandestine has been trying to open. Pat, what's going on with that? Well, she shows up, shit kicks off, and the Veil gets opened or partially opened, and then somebody else who's there working with the clandestine approaches it. And this is where I thought they were going to start bringing in, you know, the Terrigen Mist type thing, because that's kind of what it reminded yeah, me Yeah, it did. That person approaches the veil and then turns into stone and then disintegrates, kind of like something out of Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's a wild scenario to see. So at this point, you see Kamala is trying to talk some sense into Najma, who is now just said, well, Cameron is not here because Kamala is like trying to talk reason of like, what are you doing? You need this, to stop this. This like, is the mistake that was made all those years ago. Why are you repeating it? Yeah. And at this point, it's a sudden change of heart by Najma, mm-hmm. which I was very surprised to see, especially with how we've now seen over the decades yeah. how hellbent and high water she was to go back home right. and break the veil. 
So now it's a situation where she decides, no, you're right. I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to do it by sacrificing myself, Mm -hmm. which she does a power transfer to Cameron, Mm -hmm. which is a little crazy, too. Yeah. Because I was saying the only thing the situation has, like, did you give him enough power to survive? But now you used all the power by sec- but w- which was contained in yourself mm-hmm. to just go up there and when you disintegrated, that's was enough to be shutting the veil. I think I think it was that that one where it's like she gave him like ninety five or ninety nine percent of it, and what she kept was just enough to like do what she needed to do, mm-hmm. and then the end result happened. Yeah, so it is crazy to see, but after this happens, we do see <laughs> that Kamala's grandmother and mother have now found her because, well, they used the powers of technology. Yeah, you know, the, her mother was worried about her, had been calling for her for Lord knows how long. Mm-hmm. You know, and then one of the family members, uh, might have been the grandmother, I forget, made the comment, oh, you need to put a tracking device in her like, and I forget the name she mentioned. And the mother goes, well, that's fine, but that name you mentioned is a dog. And, you know, it's not exactly doable where we live. But <laughs> And the mother does look back and go, that's not saying I wouldn't do it if the opportunity wasn't there, you know. So they track her down, and after saving, because it's saving, because there's a bunch of people living where they're they're having this fight in the veil is, and, and Kamala helps get them out of there, and then she goes to shut the portal, and you just hear Kamala, and you just you go, uh oh, yeah. turn around, and there's mom and grandma. Yeah, so it's a very cool sequence to see uh, her mother there, and just the reaction they have oh so you're the light hero everyone's been talking about yeah so yeah it, it's a very cool sequence as he played out and obviously this is just a fun moment that we've seen this entire season yeah zenobia shoff who plays moonbia mm-hmm. uh kamala's mom is definitely just embracing this whole new side of her daughter now and she's she, and, taking it a lot better than i thought she would yes Con- and, considering this is the girl this or this is the girl this is the woman who basically went like all sleeping or went all like Rapunzel locker in a tower, mm. you know, type of thing when she wouldn't wear the costume she made for her to go to Avengers con. Yes. To go on the flip side of like, Hey, we're halfway around the world. I just found my daughter fighting this like group of folks who can kick any average person's backside. And I'm all right with it. You know, you know what? This is normal. I'm okay with this. Yes. And as you see, I mean, Sana who is played by Samia, I'm who was fantastic in this role, too. <laughs> I've been telling you this for years. Yeah, so they start having a heart to heart, and they're going through, obviously, the memories of Aisha, which I apologize if I mispronounced the name earlier in the segment. But now you're seeing that whole family bond come together, and Kamala is now seeing about how her mom was growing up, too. Yeah. And it, it's this cool, you know, flip of the mirror, so to speak. Yeah. That now her mother realizes, you know, what she's been doing, and now she didn't want to let her go and grow up. And Kamala is saying, well, you know, this is why I've been doing what I've done. So now there's finally that acceptance of you're a superhero. We're going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And I love the interaction, like the, the grandmother showing the photos of her mom when she was a kid or like her age. And she the grandmother's telling the story. Oh, she, you know, she left when she was 17 to go chase the star. What was the name? Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. And the mom looks at her and goes, no, his name was Bon Jovi. And, and uh, Kamala goes, wait, really? Why did you never tell me this? And the mother just looks at her and goes, because you never asked. Yes. No, it's, that was just such a cool moment, too, as you see the family bonding going on. And that's something that's really been a very big part of this show for five episodes now going into six. The family dynamic of Kamala has been something very entertaining to watch. And I love seeing all the interactions going on. 
But that's where their story ends for this episode. So you think, okay, this is like a perfect way to end the show. No, we get this bonus scene, so to speak. I mean, that's how it felt to me. Yeah. Where you see the Cameron who has been left behind by the clandestine in Najma. Got out uh, of the uh, damage control holding. Yep. And is now basically became roommates with Bruno, Kamala's best friend. Well, he sh- he showed up to talk to Bruno just because he knows Bruno's friends with Kamala. He knows what Kamala's going on. So he's like, all right, one and one together. He knows what's going on. In logic, I think he says it in the episode. He's like, you're the only one I could think of that could understand any of this. Yeah, so it's a weird scenario, too, because there's such different in personality mm-hmm. where Bruno is the super geek and Cameron is the cool kid at school. And you're seeing, obviously, he couldn't even remember his name was Bruno. He kept saying Brian. Yeah. Which, I mean, that was just a fun dynamic. But as they're basically trying to figure out what to do next, you do see a drone is flying by the window. Which, like I said, forgot damage control was involved. And I went, oh, is who is this? Is this maybe Wilson Fisk? Is this AIM? And then they said damage control. I'm like, oh, right. They're a thing. Yeah. So this was very surprising to see. But you see the drone show up and Cameron unleashes a blast to destroy the drone. But once that happens, they got to get running because now they have been discovered. And that's how the episode ends. It's a it's a weird thing to happen because obviously when they destroy it underneath the where Bruno's apartment is, it blows up. Mm-hmm. So things are just kind of crazy. Now they're running out of there trying to figure out what to do next. And now they're on the run because damage control has tracked them down. Statements I never thought I'd be saying in 2022. Damage control is chasing after somebody. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic. But this show has definitely clicked on all cylinders. It definitely has the heart to really capture the audience and really showcase one of the young superheroes of the Marvel Comics universe in such a great light that you can't help but really root for this character to move on and do something bigger, too. I know we got another season coming, I would assume. You have to figure. Because... Obviously, however they're going to leave this off is going to set up for a future appearance in either the Marvels, which I think is the safest lock we can say, the Captain Marvel sequel, or we might see an appearance on another Disney Plus show to begin with. It is possible that we might see kind of a merging of the champions and the Young Avengers if they really wanted to go that route for whatever teen hero project they're working on because the seeds have been planted all throughout the movies and the TV shows. Mm Mm-hmm. But for this episode, though, I thought it was very good. I thought Aisha's story was very, very interesting. Yeah. And gave some depth that was much needed for Kamala to grow as a, as a character. That now everything somewhat makes sense. We still don't have a full origin about the bangle. Will she get a second one? And is it actually going to be tying into the Kree universe? Which I still think is going to happen. See, I thought she was going to get the second bangle out of the past. You know, I was like, oh, there's two bangles. And then I'm like, wait, no, that's the same bangle she's wearing, time travel issues. Yeah, so however they decide to play that off is interesting, but I thought it was a lot of strong character work here. Telling that backstory of Aisha was really huge. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we need to see moving forward from Kamala is now how is she going to come back and save the day? And is it going to set up a weird frenemy thing with Cameron? Mm -hmm. Because obviously she's connected with Karim, the Red Dagger. It's going to take a little bit because flight from Pakistan to New Jersey ain't exactly short. Right. <laughs> but how, the, how is this all going to shape up that now that the building has been basically destroyed underneath yeah. Bruno, yeah. they're now on the run. Yeah. So where do we go from here? I mean, high school. 
You have to Pro- think probably. Gonna, you have to think they're going to do something like that, but at the same, they'll probably time, end up at the high school. Yeah, but it's like, is that really going to play out to where Kamala is going to make the save? And then is this where we see maybe a Nick Fury in the season finale? She's going to end up someplace where like it, it's she's going to finally get that public exposure because up to this point it's been kind of like I'm th- I'm thinking like the early Sam Raimi uh, Spider Man movies where it's like kind of quick glimpses and like people have seen him but like nobody's gotten a full look at him. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case with her. I think it'll end up someplace where, like, she's having a fight with damage control or one of the drones or something, and, like, people are finally, like, able to see her full outfit, taking pictures, and the whole nine. Yeah. It's going to be a fun episode to definitely check out. Final thoughts on this before we wrap up, Had Thought it was a good episode. Kind of confused with the way the pacing went and just kind of making it kind of out to be the season finale when it wasn't. But I'm excited for the finale and to see where it goes. Yeah, I'm excited to see where we're going. Uh, It's kind of interesting, though, because this did really feel like the season finale. So... Now that we have a bonus episode, so to speak, I'm interested to see how they're going to tie up all the loose ends. And I think this is going to set up for a cameo from somebody. Safe money would be uh, the one only uh, Carol Danvers herself, Captain yeah, Marvel. Maybe. Last we knew, she was off-world. So. Right. But we could see a Nick Fury, though. That might be even a safer bet. Or a Monica. Monica. Mm-hmm. You could see Monica Rambeau, maybe. This is true. I mean, there's Monica a- Rambeau makes more sense to me than Carol, just because, like like I said, the last we saw Carol was she was going off. Or she or No, uh, I'm trying to remember where she went after Endgame. We don't know where she no, went No, she after. took off into space. Cause That's she, what she, it was, yeah. She still had to do more business out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, so she's off in space. Monica Rambeau would make more sense. I could definitely see that happening, too. It just depends on where they want to go to set up the Marvels movie mm-hmm. that we don't know anything about other than it's getting filmed. Right. So... It's going to be a great thing to see how this plays out. I'm super excited to see the direction to see how they can cap it off. Because, like I say, this should have been the season finale, in my opinion. So we're going to get a bonus episode. I just don't want it to be filler. I don't want it to be a letdown. Like, that's where I'm kind of going with this. I'm excited for it because the show has pulled off everything thus far that I've been looking for from it. I just hope it doesn't end uh, with a flat note. That's just my opinion on that. But ODPH Society, we gave you ours, and we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode five entitled Time and Again, Miss Marvel, season one, Disney Plus? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my God, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Oh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know, murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to recap Season 3 of the Umbrella Academy. Hell yeah! Now, there's been a lot of shows going on, so this might have fallen off the radar for some. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, the boys' season finale is this week. Yep. Stranger Things has been dominating everything mm-hmm. as the top winner of the streaming services right now. But Umbrella Academy, since it debuted last week, it came out with a lot of fanfare, a lot of positive reaction. We got a chance to finally sit there and break it all down. So we're going to be recapping the season that was, give you our thoughts about the 
Dark Horse comic that came out in 2007 has had a couple books come out since. Yeah. Obviously, we knew the first one was Apocalypse Suite. The second one is Dallas. The third one is Hotel Oblivion, done by Jared Way from My Chemical Romance and Gabriel Bay. So the series has definitely been a lot better than the comics, in my opinion. Okay. So I, I know the first run, Apocalypse Suite, I thought was very good for comic-wise. I thought the show's first season was very strong. The second is where I think it kind of differs in my opinion about mm-hmm. this. I thought Dallas was very confusing as a comic. I mm-hmm. was not a super big fan of this. Sure. The show I thought was much better about it. And where we last saw our misguided teen heroes who are now grown up and basically a more damaged version of the X-Men that pretty much anybody could possibly connect with, it has now been a lot of time travel, a lot of messiness, and mm-hmm. a lot of trying to figure out where do we go from here? Well, and we also find out in one of the episodes during the season that the events, uh, and I want to say it's like episode maybe three or four. I forget which one. It's it's in the fir- like first third or first half of the season. We find out that the events of season one and season two and everything up to that point have been over the course of like 20 days. Yeah. Which is fucking insanity. It's crazy, but something about this comic, which like I say, if you're a fan of Doom Patrol, this might be more up your alley than most uh, this definitely has a very cool, unique vibe to it. The show mm-hmm. the show is very good, and that's yeah, why is. we are going to take the time to break down Season 3 of the Umbrella Academy, so we're going to do it like we always do, a spoiler-free statement, and then let's go deep diving, Pad, so give us your spoiler-free statement. Really enjoyed the season. It was a little different than the last two, but I, I still enjoyed it, and I was still along for the ride. A lot of fantastic performances from a lot of folks on the show. Love the story, and good Lord, Season 4 should be very interesting. I thought this was a very strong season. I thought it really picked up towards the end. It was confusing to see where we were going to go, but mm-hmm. I thought, like you touched upon, there was a lot of strong performances, especially Tom Hopper this season as Luthor. Definitely really stepped up. And obviously Aiden Gallagher, yeah. who we know as number five, yep. always brings something to always the show. Always top-notch. Always, always bringing that. And to see just where this show went definitely had a lot of interesting twists and turns. And pretty much read like how I thought it was going to do, and then obviously threw some big curveballs. That's sure. something that this show is known about. But it still is a great watch. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely take some time to binge on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But now let's get into that deep spoiler talk. So that being said, in three, two, one, pad. Talk to me. I thought it was a really great season. You know everything from the first episode and the fucking hilarious dance number sequence. You know, in the first episode, you know, really enjoyed that. The plot twists and kind of figuring out, all right, where are we going? What's the mystery? Like, just the mystery and the intrigue and the plot twists, you know, around every corner where you thought you had things figured out. And then they'd round a corner and be like, oh, hey, surprise. You know, that's not what's actually going on. Here's a little bit more clue to going on. You know, it was a fun ride that I would absolutely get on again. This series definitely really picked up steam towards the latter half. The beginning, it was a little confusing because yeah. obviously where we've seen our favorite family of heroes uh, with Victor Hargraves, played by Elliot Page, who might be the most powerful member of the family. Could be. Luther Hargraves, played by Tom Hopper, who is the super strong, mm-hmm. uh, dare I say, kind of a, a hybrid of, of animal DNA, too. Yeah. Because he does appear that in the comics is a lot different version, but he's a super strong member. Yep. And then we see Diego Hargraves, played by David Castaneda, who is more like the Batman of the group, so to speak. Kind of, just without all the smart detective work. Right, because we definitely see that he can do 
a lot of crazy things like with his knives and you, you, you he does have that aura around him mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Allison Hargraves, who's played by Emmy Raver Lepin, mm-hmm. who uh Yeah, we'll we'll get into the, her character this year too. Uh who can do mind control when she says I heard a rumor. Or not, as we find out later. Yeah, so it definitely kind of really throws some curveballs in there. Klaus Hargraves, probably the most popular character of the show, played by Robert Sheehan. Fantastic. Yeah, who is always great uh, because he is just outrageous in every action he takes. And he can communicate with the dead. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we do know that with the fallen brother of the group, Ben Hargraves, who's played by Justin Mim. Min. I apologize for that. Uh, we do see that he's more like the Kraken who definitely can use his tentacles out. And we knew that in the previous seasons that he died of a, in a mission too. There was so, a, there was an incident that they just called the Jennifer incident. Yes. So we do know that obviously he is no, he was not with them as they've been going on this crazy journey. And last, but certainly not least five Hargraves played by Aiden Gallagher, mm-hmm. who many are saying will be Damian Wayne before it's all said and done in the DC right universe. I'd be c- completely fine with it. The man who uh, does not age, but can teleport through time and is the smartest man in the room, so to speak mm-hmm. uh, outside of the Sir Reginald Hargraves by played by a comb foray, mm-hmm. who definitely is your worst version of professor Xavier that you could ever imagine. Should definitely win a few worst parent awards. Mm hmm. Because, obviously, what happens in the story is there is random births mm-hmm. throughout the world. Yep. And these births give off a superhero prodigy. Mm-hmm. And Hargraves tried recruiting them all. to oh, make I want to adopt you all. Yeah, to make into his own superhero team. And his methods of tough love, to, sit, to put yeah. it mildly, <laughs> were out of damn control. Yeah, they were. And definitely when his death happens in the first season... The family who has been separated comes back together to try figuring out what happened. And it goes on a wild escapade from there where you're seeing that Victor was going to be responsible for the end of the world mm-hmm. due to reasons outside of his control. Yep. And then they wind up going back to the time of Dallas and the JFK assassination. Yeah. And how they finally get back home is a very crazy scenario, too. But now that they're back home... Yep. Well, they realize that the timeline has been reset, so to speak. Kind of. Or they branched off into another timeline because they show up at home. Ah, finally, we're back home. Everything's back to normal. I, you know, should be good to go. Who the fuck are these guys? Yes. And they come to find out, oh, we're in somebody else's house, but it's our house. And it's this group called the Sparrow Academy. What the hell? Yes. So now they're back in their the Sparrow Academy. And you see Reginald Hargraves is now said, no, I have seven other children. And he basically has said, I don't know who you are, and just denying any acknowledgement yeah. of it. It kicks off, though, defending mm-hmm. the houses only they can to the sounds of, of uh, Footloose. Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic opening sequence, as you see. And now you see the battle for the house. The sparrows win. Yeah. Because the sparrows are just a completely well-oiled machine. They're like a mix of the Seven and then the Avengers. Yeah. You know, they're, they're kind of like the Seven in that they're marketed marketed everywhere but then they're also not as shitty so they're kind of like the avengers Mm -hmm. so at this point the umbrella academy that we know takes off Mm -hmm. and they wind up setting up shop at the hotel obsidian Mm -hmm. and this is where things start getting a little bit interesting yeah because for a good couple episodes maybe one two three episodes they're like all right hey 
is what it is. Why don't we just go and live our lives? And I think it won't for a portion of one episode, they do split off and go off and do their own separate things, despite, you know, the protests of some. Yes. And as you see, the other members of the Sparrow Academy, who is now being led by Ben Hargraves, mm-hmm. and is completely the opposite yeah. of the original Ben. Real jerk. Yes, is basically saying we need to take these guys out one way or another. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of They're back and forth. There's a lot of back and forth going on between this group. And you see that Victor is trying to make deals mm-hmm. for the briefcase because the time traveling briefcase has been synonymous with the Umbrella Academy. Yep is still at their former residence. Yep. And as they're trying to do this, well, there's other factors that are going on. And you see that, obviously, that Diego's ex-girlfriend, Lila, yep. who has just been absolutely nothing but trouble since the moment she came on the show. Real thorn in the side. Oh, my God, yeah. But she she is great. Rutu Aria plays her, and she is absolutely scene-stealing every time she's in. She basically is a mimic. Yep. And she has decided upon herself, well, you know, I'm going to kind of use this to my own advantage. I'm going mm-hmm. to do what I can do here. And obviously coming back in their lives is never good. So it's also like a standoff of like there's something going on here mm-hmm. that is going to end the world, too, that everybody's now coming together. Yeah, because they're, they're just kind of living their lives and living at the hotel. But then things start going weird. Like I think at one point five notice, like they're sitting in the lobby, kind of where near the food is. Uh, and there's a uh, fish tank, you know, in one on one of the tables or something. And in it, he was looking at it, there are three uh, lobsters in it. And, mm-hmm. and there's this energy pulse that goes off, you know, and it, and it seems kind of harmless. You can't really tell anything's wrong. But then Fives looks back at the uh, fish tank and he goes, weren't there three lobsters in there just a minute ago? And somebody else, I can't remember if it was Diego or Klaus, so somebody else in the family was like, oh, they probably took them out and went to go cook them. You know, just kind of like, yeah, whatever. They're no big deal. Yeah. So obviously things are happening going on. And one big noticeable change is Grace Hargraves, played mm-hmm. by Jordan Robbins, who is the uh, mother to the family, but mm-hmm. is a robot. Mm-hmm. Well, now is kind of <laughs> having some ulterior motives because yeah. in the basement of the Academy, yeah. there is a time anomaly yep. that is now just wiping out random people and moments in, in this new world they're in. It's going off at like random intervals, but I think the intervals are getting quicker. And she disco- she's the first person to discover it in the basement. And she starts worshiping it like a deity. Yeah. That like she, e- I think she even calls it like God a couple of times throughout this season. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird scenario here. One of the members of the Sparrow Academy gets disintegrated. Their number one, Marcus. Yeah. Yes. So now Ben is thinking, well, these are, imposters have something to do with it yeah because they were just at the house they had the fight the family got the two families kind of got split up throughout the house we're fighting throughout the house and now marcus is missing well clearly this group that i don't like is must have something to do with it yes so they wind up kidnapping luther they're trying to get information out of him and he's like i have no idea what you're talking about no we don't have him no we haven't seen him yes and then he winds up connecting with their number five sloan Mm mm-hmm so there is a weird love interest going on here, but we Dude need to... Dude fell head over heels. Yeah. But, Pat, there's only one way to describe it. Reasons. So while this is going on, too, I thought the Umbrella Academy did something very cool here. Yeah. And this is when Victor shows up as Victor mm-hmm. on the show. Because, obviously, since the time of filming, Ellen Page, 
uh-huh. came out as transgender and is now Elliot Page. Yep, and so for the first two seasons, the character was known as Vanya. And once the news came out about you know Elliot Page be, being Elliot Page, everyone kind of wondered, are you going to address this? How are you going to handle this? And they said, we're going to change the character to, f- to fit with Elliot Page, mm-hmm. and we'll explain it in the show. And i got to say, for the way they did it in the show, perfect. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't have done it any better. The family was very accepting. There yeah. was... And it, it could not have been done any perfectly. Yeah, because Victor comes in, they're, they're talking like, hey, what's with the new haircut? Oh, I'm, you know, they, and they say Vanya. She's like, well, Victor. And, that, and I think it was Diego goes, what? Yeah. No, uh, uh, that's who I am. That's who I've always been, Victor. And, and Victor goes into this whole little monologue about why why he did it and this and that. And they're, they just kind of sit there, they process it, and they go, okay. Yeah. Couldn't have done it any more perfect. So kudos to the writing team and the cast about this as yeah, well, too. Yeah. So while this is happening, Allison, our least favorite member of the team. God damn. Obviously has got a lot of baggage going on from when she was in Dallas. Because right. Yeah, because she was in, in in the southern part of the United States in the 1960s, which for those of you who aren't United States uh, residents, little bit of a rough time if you were of african-american descent uh you can certainly find documentaries about it online um you know so she went through the trauma of that but she did find a partner you know married him had a daughter and now being here in the present time she wants to find him and she goes off and tries to find him and ends up going into some random person's house because she that's where you know she was that's where she thinks they are and it's not anyone to do with, you know, her family and ends up scaring the, the family that lives there into the point where they're ready to call the cops and she cannot handle it. No, she can't. And this is where it kind of just really sends her on a really dark tailspin. Yeah. Yeah. To, to put it mildly, like her, her journey now, she becomes very violent, mm-hmm. very out of control because she's filled with rage of obviously losing her family that she's become so close with i mean let's put it let's put it this way she assaults luther at one point yes during the season that like and i understand you know the trauma and the emotion of losing her family and something she wanted but like god damn she i think she went too far oh yeah she definitely did and as you start seeing that she starts losing her grip on reality and Mm -hmm. as we see more of this anomaly forming you're seeing that it's just spiraling more things out of control she like and it, she starts snapping at a couple of the family members but then she just starts going off on everybody mm-hmm. that like she starts yelling at luther even that it's just he's just like why are you yelling at me yes so now it's a situation where the team is still trying to figure out what's going on with the briefcase mm-hmm. they can't get their hands on it they're now getting tracked down by a mysterious gentleman named lester mm-hmm. who knows a little bit more about the situation than anybody's letting on yeah and this is a situation that they wind up figuring out, okay, with the anomaly going on, we have to find a way to stop it. Yep. And during this time, too, there is a very big curveball that is thrown to everybody with Diego. Because mm-hmm. apparently Diego and Lila have a son. Yep. And that son is not, um, how do we say? He's a pyromaniac for one. Let's just yeah. say that. Because he, he sees Molotov cocktails and goes, ooh, fun. Yeah, he, he's a future uh, supervillain in training. Yeah, he is. And Diego is trying to do his best parenting job, but yep. that's not really happening because Lila keeps fighting with Five. Mm-hmm. And Five is basically trying to be Having the, none of it. He's not having none of it because he realizes, okay, this isn't yeah, going to ki- work. The kid at one point sets a banner drape-looking thing they've got on one of the columns on fire. Uh, impales Klaus, 
you know, and that's just the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Yeah. So while this is all going on, like there's this weird, uneasy alliance going on with Five and Lila too, which does happen from time to time with her mm-hmm. as a character. But like I say, she is always really stealing, stealing scenes left and right from here. Yeah, well, and, and they're kind of like, all right, we got to kind of work together just because we're the only two who understand time travel, having both worked for you know the commission. And they end up trying to go back to the commission, and then they get back to the commission, and they end up finding uh, future fives. Yes. <laughs> Which is a whole mess. Oh, but time travel, they usually advise not doing that. Right, exactly. Because the more it's progressing on, the more you're finding about how things are just going more and more out of control. Mm-hmm. Too. I mean, wh- meanwhile, while this is going on, too, you're seeing that Luther and Sloan are, are getting together more and more. Yep. And the bond is happening there that's now causing friction with the other teams yep. involved. And then you do see that probably one of the more wilder scenes of this season Mm-hmm. Was when Stan, the son of Diego and Lila, yep, kills Klaus. Yeah, after Klaus has been working with Reginald too about finding out the truth yep. of what's going on in his own uh, unique way. Well, yeah, because they start finding out what's going on, and they discover the time anomaly, which they call the Kugelblitz. You know, which is a grandfather paradox. And there's a great informational, you know, work video that they show to explain that, which that was cool. You know, so they then, all right, so we must be the ones who caused it because we're not supposed to be here. Well, why are we not supposed to be here? You know, Klaus then remembers or had found a, a thing telling him where his where his mother was. Mm-hmm. So he goes off to find his mother and come to find out his mother had died. Well, then they find out all of their mothers have died. You know, so and he's working, then he starts working with Reginald to like, all right, hey, why don't we get your powers under control and all this stuff? You know, it, it's a wild ride. Yeah, no, it's absolutely crazy. And then seeing how Klaus now goes through the the afterlife, and you find out that one hundred and fifty thousand times. Yeah, you see that his power is not exactly you can see the dead because he's immortal. Yep, and that is just awesome. Well, yeah, because what is it? The the kid, uh, the Stan, Stan Stanley, uh, lights the uh, the lobby uh, banner on fire, you know, and so he gets caught. Oh, what did I do? You know, the whole the whole kid thing. And he goes, well, hey, you're going to have to work to fix this. Here's a list of rooms he wants you to clean. I want you to go clean them, and your Uncle Klaus is going to help you. And Klaus is like, why do I got to help him? Because I'm busy. And they go off cleaning. I think it was ended up being called the Polar Bear Suite is mm-hmm. what it was called. So they're in there cleaning that, and Klaus is being Klaus and loafing about, and they're talking and this and that. All the meanwhile, Stanley sees a harpoon gun. Yeah. Because reasons. You know, and he starts playing around with it like it's some sort of Nerf gun. And his finger goes near the trigger, pulls the trigger, impales Klaus. Klaus drops dead. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. What the hell? And like I say, this is how he got to find out he's immortal. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's a wild scenario. Which apparently he'd been dying before. He just didn't realize it. Well, that's what I said. Like, his power isn't to connect with the dead. It's just he's immortal, and that's how he can seize him. And he goes on his own little different wild journey. Meanwhile, Stan is trying to basically... Take care of the body mm-hmm. himself. Like I said, future supervillain in training. Well, so he, he's walking through the hotel with like acid or I forget what it was. It was like some sort of chemical that like I think they used it in Breaking Bad in like the early season of Breaking Bad. It was like a similar type of thing. And Diego's like sees him walking with it and he calls him and Stanley just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And Diego catches up to him and he, he goes, what do you have? What are you holding? Why do you have this? Yeah. It's absolutely it's a funny sequence to go on. But then when Klaus starts moving again a little bit. They realize, oh, well, we don't have to get rid of the the body. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to ignore this and uh, go from here. 
Meanwhile, you do see that there is a little more uh, secret going on, too, with one of the more popular characters of the show, and that is Pogo. Yep. The, uh, how would you describe him? I would say he's a talking monkey. Yes, who is the butler, who is the only person in that whole household that cares about anybody uh, that is of a uh, parental figure. Mm -hmm. we got to put that out there. And we do see that, obviously, Five tracks him down um, when he figures out the tattoo that he has belongs to a biker gang. Yep. That uh, Five uh, basically has to go say, okay, what's the whole story here? And you get the whole backstory about Mm -hmm. how Reginald just was out of control. and and, was a real jerk. Yeah, and, and he fires Pogo. Because yeah. Pogo is telling him to go easy on him. Because you see this weird Cobra Kai-esque mm-hmm. training session yeah. where no mercy. Yeah. The, oh, there's no Nobody's going to let you tap out in the real world. So if you die here, you die here. Yeah. So it is kind of crazy to see what is going on here. And then you do see that Pogo is fired because he does know a little information about a secret project Reginald has called Project Oblivion. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much where we are now with this anomaly that keeps disappearing yep. more and more of the universe. Yeah, and there's even a couple of sequences in one of the episodes where the news has started picking up on it. That like you see local news broadcasts talking about like thousands and thousands of people disappearing and they nobody has any idea where they are. They're leaving no trace and they have no clue where they are. Yeah. So it is a very, very interesting sequence of events going on here. And as we start getting into more of the information about what Reginald is really behind, you're starting to see more people are trying to come after the group. You see Diego loses two fingers in a fight. Yeah, because they end up going through. Well, they they uh, what is it? They end up he Diego goes up into the polar bear suite with Stanley, mm-hmm. and they have that whole sequence. They go back up in there, and then the kid disappears. Lila, I think, is there with them, and they're like, "We got to figure out." Or no, they think he disappeared. Right. They go through the they go through the door uh, secret doorway into this parallel dimension where they it's a mirror opposite of the hotel they're in. Then that's when they meet a guardian or something. You know, it's some dude in armor with a uh, sword attached to a chain. It's wild. Gets his fingers cut off, comes back, and then Stanley gets Thanos snapped, essentially. Yeah. Like, it's just absolutely crazy to see how this all shapes up because it is just going in all types of different directions because of the time anomaly. So, like, if it's kind of a little confusing as you're hearing this at home, mm-hmm. you have to really visualize this to really get in tow that this team that has been traveling through time is now the cause of time ripples, and you're seeing mm-hmm. different events happen yeah. and unfolding because of this. Yep. Because the sparrows themselves are time anomalies. Mm-hmm. They're not where they should be, and this whole new timeline that they formed mm-hmm. is really throwing curveballs off. Thus, you have this guardian who's walking around yep. with a sword and chain attached to him and going through the hotel trying to find something and winds up hurting Diego, yep. which, like I say, that will come back into play later. Yep. Because while all this is going on, you're seeing Victor is getting trained about how to handle the powers mm-hmm. that he has. And, Pad, who's training? Uh, the one and only Harlan Cooper uh, from Dallas in 1963. Uh, it turns out they thought they took the powers away from him. They didn't. Why? Reasons. Reasons. Never explained that one, at least not that I ever caught. Uh, but he always, I guess he could feel some sort of connection because he has Va- uh, Victor's powers. He felt a connection. So that's when we find out that when... Our Umbrella Academy was getting ready to be born. He sensed uh, Victor's presence and inadvertently killed all of their mothers. So that's why they shouldn't exist in this timeline was because Harlan was the reason behind that. 
Uh, but then he's also now training uh, Victor in how to use his powers because, well, he's had about 40, 50 years to work on them. Yeah, so obviously when Victor is going to train to stop the time anomaly, Allison is there with them, and obviously Allison is dealing with enough rage going on with losing her family. And she hallucinates seeing both the, her husband and daughter there. Yeah, and then she decides to do, well, a very bad decision. Well, she decides to take matters into her own hands. Yep, she kills Harlan. Yep, because that's because the uh, Sparrow Academy is like trying to make a deal with them. Hey, listen, you know... We'll make a deal with you, but the one condition of this deal is we want him dead or alive. Yeah. And they and, and Allison knows there's no way he'll go in alive. So she's like, all right, I'll kill him. Yeah, so it is absolutely bananas seeing this sequence of events happen. Mm-hmm. Because now the back and forth this season, which I guess I would say maybe was one of the slight drawbacks. Sure. Is you had too much of the back and forth, like we're friends, now we're not, now yeah. we're friends, now we're not, between yeah. the Umbrella Academy and the Sparrows. Yeah. That get, that got to be a little confusing for me, trying yeah. to keep track of, because yeah. it was like, we're working together, but no, we're not. And it was just, when it got away from Ben being the head person involved, it definitely kind of seemed like everybody else on the Sparrows had their ulterior motives. Maybe that's just me, Pat. I don't know no, about yeah, you. I felt like that, too. Yeah, because once you see Allison cutting the deal, you do see Lila's trying to take... T- her own journey. She winds up going to when the Berlin Wall came down. Yeah. And well, I think that was just a sequence where we saw how she got her uh, briefcase. Yeah. Which, I mean, just goes to show like how much the show was jumping around too. Yeah. Which, I mean, was that scene really necessary? No, but it was a fun little thing to see too. Yeah. And then obviously you see that Allison is trying to come to grips with what happens. Everybody figures out, okay, what you did. Mm-hmm. And then you do see that Grace, like we said, is now convinced that she has to work for, I believe the anomaly is called the Kluglitz? Kugelblitz. Kugelblitz, thank you. Yeah. And you see that she is now obviously worshiping the Blitz. Mm-hmm. And Five has to kill her. Yeah. Which is an emotional scene, too. Yeah. And it's a weird scene, but it's still something that we all witness. And then you see Reginald has now taken this weird kinship mm-hmm. to Klaus. Mm-hmm. That now all of a sudden that Klaus was explaining about his powers, yeah. Reginald's all in. Well, and Klaus starts, because Re- Reginald in this universe or this timeline can't understand why they hate him. And then he kind of goes through each one of the family members of like why they hate him. It's like, all right, listen, me, you locked me in a room full of ghosts, which terrified the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Luther, you left on the moon for like five years with... No reason and no call, no response. You know, uh, Victor, you basically drugged to the point where he couldn't use his powers, you know, and then five, you know, got trapped in time, you know, and then he's just going through the line. He's like, do I need to keep going? He's like, no, I, th- I think you've kind of said enough. Yeah, no, he definitely brings everything down, too. But now that everybody's on the same page about Reginald, for the most part, uh, he's obviously still manipulating everything behind the scenes. Never believe a word this man says. No, you can't, because obviously he has proven without a shadow of a doubt that he is the true supervillain of all. And obviously we get a little more backstory about what he was doing with the Hotel, hotel Obsidian, mm-hmm. that now he has become obsessed with this whole time anomaly thing, mm-hmm. and he has pretty much predicted the end of the world. Well, and we see at one point in like a flood, super far flashback sequence, he built the damn thing or had it or helped pay to have it built. Mm-hmm. Which is wild. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a very crazy sequence. Or if, going it was, on. or if it wasn't him, maybe it was like an ancestor. It looked like it was the same actor, but whether it was the same character or maybe an ancestor, they didn't say. No, they definitely did not. But this is where the team is figuring out, okay, what is going on? And you're seeing that more of the sparrows are disappearing because, mm-hmm. well, 
the Blitz is now completely taking over their house. Getting larger and larger. Yes. So the only two people that have survived out of the original Sparrows is Ben Mm -hmm. and Sloane, who Luther proposes to. Also uh, Christopher. Oh, Christopher does escape, too. I forgot about that. Yeah. But you, for a while. Well, for a while, but you know everything kind of you know really catches up to that because eventually he winds up exploding. Yep. Because why, Pad? Well, now there's a reason he tries holding the Kugel Blitz inside him, which works for maybe five ten minutes of the show, and then it kind of backfires. Yeah, it's it's a wild scenario that happens and goes on here. But then you kind of have by this point we're nearing the end of the season. Mm-hmm. You do have that nice send off with. Luther and Sloane's wedding. Luther yeah. Luther asks Victor to be the best man. Yep. And Ben is kind of outside looking in. Feel feels a little left out. Right, because now he's he's got to really kind of find his way back in. And you do see that Reginald is is trying to sit there and, and show that he's basically a good guy mm-hmm. and gives the blessing onto the mm-hmm. the new marriage that is going on. And nobody's really kind of buying it. Yeah. But you do see that it was a weird speech. It, it was. I mean, having been to a few weddings, you know, it was a weird speech. It definitely was a weird speech. But as we say, the the world is ending, so they're basically trying to say their final goodbyes. At this point, they've realized that they can't win. Right. So it's a weird scenario that they've just now this entire time. Five has been sitting around trying to make moves to stop the blitz. He can't do it. Nobody in the sparrows can do it. They're all getting wiped away because Grace was helping everybody. And then Reginald is just basically playing his own game yep. because he's responsible for all this at the end of the day. And you do see these character moments, too, where Ben is now finally accepted by the group as being the new Ben. Well, he finally stopped being a dick and kind of let loose a little bit. Yeah, well, he kind of had to at this stage because he really he lost everybody. Yeah, he did. So he had to. And then you see that Sloan is just basically selling, you know, you're not the one in charge. Be a part of this family. Mm-hmm. And she tries talking him into it as, as well. So everybody is on board with this, pretty much except Allison, because, well, she's just bitter and angry that, you know. She hates everyone. She Yeah, she turned out to be the worst character this entire season, without well, question. Mo- most annoying, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. That obviously, she we know that obviously she lost her family and yeah, such. Yeah, which is the trauma. I get yeah. it, but, like, this went to the extreme. Yeah, she took it out on everybody in very, very bad ways, from the, you know, the violent attacks on her own teammates to the people around she just went completely out of control, but she's now not handling the fact that Luther, who had the puppy dog crush on her for years, mm-hmm. moved on. Yeah. And she's outside looking in. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But as they're watching, by this point, the Blitz is now taking over half the city. Klaus, or not Klaus, uh, Fives is drunk out of his mind. Mm-hmm. God damn. And then he does see something in the elevator, too, because then he sees Reginald yeah, he making sees, a deal with somebody. Yeah, he sees Reginald in the uh, polar bear suite They're talking to somebody. and But, of course, he's so drunk, he passes out and falls backwards into an uh, elevator. Yes. And then when he comes to, he does figure out what is going on with Reginald, who finally comes clean about everything. Well, the hotel is basically a secret tunnel. Mm-hmm. When I hit the reset button on the universe. Yep. How are you feeling about that, Pat? It was a weird plot twist, but I was like, okay. Like, I figured I figured the, the parallel universe came into it somehow. Mm-hmm. Didn't see that coming, but I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so this kind of makes sense, but it's a weird scenario where Luther, or, I mean, Reginald has kind of picked out who he wants to take with him, mm-hmm. and the other ones are basically... Uh, They're fodder. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, an interesting situation that... Reginald puts this out and is like, yeah, you know, like the people really want to buy this will agree to this. And you do see that that's Ben, yep. Lila, Klaus, and Allison. Yep. 
But you see that Luther, Five, Victor, Diego, and Sloan are basically, um, yeah, no, we're going to stay and try fixing this. Yeah, Diego wants to hang back. You know, uh, Luther and Sloan are like, hey, listen, we've only got so much time and we want to spend it together with each other. Mm-hmm. And then Five is going off of what his future self told him right as it died, which his future self told him. You know, don't save the world or don't stop the apocalypse or something like that. He, he's basically said, let this play out. Yeah, because I thought in in a weird sense when he was told that, I thought it was his way of trying to stop it. Maybe. So that's what I kept saying because I was like, with five, he, he, he's always got different motives for everything he does. He's never really on the 100% up and up about things. But as you kind of see that they are basically coming to terms with what's going on, Reginald, though, has basically said, well, you know, if you're not going to follow us, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do what I do. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to force your hand. Yes, and he winds up killing Luther. Yep, which was with like this weird tentacle sword thing. Yes, and he tries pinning it on the guardian, the one samurai esque warrior that's walking around. Mm-hmm. That now the group is you know seriously fight up to remember and, and go. Yep, and then during this whole melee of trying to figure out what happened to Luther. Five remembers yep. who was talking mm-hmm. with Reginald. And who was that, Pat? Uh, Allison. Yeah. So Allison is cutting a deal. And when the hotel is going, they're basically uh, forced to go mm-hmm. no matter what because yep. Allison's manipulation. Yep. Except Klaus. Yeah. Because Klaus is basically told he's. You got to stay behind. And he's like, but I'll die. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, he said, no, you know, you're you're too much trouble than you're worth. So all the connecting that Reginald had done with Klaus this entire season yeah. is out the window yeah. and it was just a work, which I love the dramatic twist here. That worked for me. And then you see at this point, Klaus is just like, you know what? If I'm going to die, I'm going to go out completely in a in a unique way. He forces himself onto the horn of the buffalo that mm-hmm. is hanging in, the, in yep. that suite and, yep. st- and impales himself. Yep. However, though, in the... Uh, Afterlife. Yeah, I guess that's the easiest way you can describe it. He runs into Luther. Mm-hmm. And they basically say, well, we have to go back. Yeah. We can't let it end like this because everybody else is at the Hotel Oblivion. And you're seeing that, well, Reginald is basically saying, "I, you know what? I don't want to deal with you people anymore. Mm-hmm. And he unleashes guardians on him. Yeah. How are you feeling about this, Pat? Felt a little weird. Felt a little like I I knew it was coming at some point just because while the rest of the crew split up into groups and to go throughout the floors, he stayed behind in the lobby. I'm like, all right, he's clearly going to hit the button. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's all about himself. He has no loyalty to anybody, even though they they're so desperately to have that father figure in their life. There's no loyalty whatsoever, unless Poco was there. All bets are off, right? And you're seeing that the Guardians are absolutely thrashing. Yeah, the, the Umbrella Academy. You see five loses an arm. You see Diego is running for his life pretty mm-hmm. much, which, I mean, he never does. You see Allison is trying to say she had nothing to do with this part of the deal with right. Victor, but that's going completely, you know, for the wayside. And then all bets are off because Klaus and Luther return. Mm-hmm. And when Reginald's scheme is completely exposed, this is where the beginning of the end finally happens mm-hmm. because five notices where to hit the reset button. Yep. So the whole thing that Reginald was trying to do but yet didn't want to do, Five decides to kick off, 
and obviously you have everybody stand in their position for the stars to activate. Well, yeah, well, Reginald has them stand in the places, but he makes a point to say to Allison because Allison's making a making a step towards one of the stars. He goes, "No, no, no, not you." Yeah, which I thought was interesting. I did too. That well, Five understands what's going on, and he knows that there's a reason for yeah. everything he's doing. Because like yeah. I say, he's the smartest guy in the room. But once this starts going off, and now you're hitting the reset. Allison kills Reginald mm-hmm. because she's not. She realizes that the team is going to die because of their sacrifice. Well, yeah, because they're standing there, they're turning all shades of blue. You know, it looks like they're start. It even looks like some of their hair is starting to fade away, and they're screaming in pain. And she's like, "Stop! You're hurting them! You're hurting them!" And he's like, and he uh, Reginald even makes the law says the line. You know, there has to be a, a payment for the sacrifice, or or something like that. You know, and that's when she she even tries using her powers to make him stop doesn't work so that's when she picks up the weapon that got left behind by the guardian and then slices his head in half yeah like it's a wild scenario to happen but now the universe is reset well they so that it's in the process of getting reset it had stopped but it was like 99 percent of the way there Mm -hmm. because you had the little red circle thing on the display that was there like it was like the big red button uh, button push me you know, and she goes up and she's trying to, will she, won't she? And everyone's like, no, don't do it. No, don't do it. No, don't do it. Well, she does it. Yeah, she does it. So now you're kind of at a partial reset. It kind of felt like a full one, though. Kind of. Because Allison is now reunited with her family that she thought was lost. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles. Yep. So she's away from the team. Yep. And I think that that's why Five had her step away at the original. Because I, be. I think he understood what was going on. Could be. The only thing he didn't calculate is when the rest of the group is now standing in this park. Mm-hmm. You do see the hotel is gone. It's where the hotel was supposed to be, yeah. Right. It's a memorial for Reginald Hargraves. Which I do love what Victor says right at the end, and she just looks at the statue and just says, asshole. Yep. And you do see that, well, the team is back, but they're really not. Yeah, uh, well, one, Luther's standing there, and he's supposed to be dead because while he was there in the fight sequence, uh, you, we did find out that Klaus is the one who brought him there. His hand was glowing blue. Mm-hmm. Couldn't keep it going, but so Luther's there, and he looks human. Yeah, so he's lost his powers. Uh, Diego has his fingers. Yep. Fives can't blink. Yep, but uh, he got his arm back. He got it, and he got his, and he got his hand back. Yep. Uh, Diego doesn't know what the fuck to do with a knife now. He tries twirling it in his hands, and he drops it. Yep. Uh, Victor and, uh, what is it, Ben try using their powers to no avail. So clearly something's gone on where they're like, hey, we got to find out and get our powers back. And someone goes, why don't we just live our lives? Yeah. And at this stage, too, Sloane is gone, so Luther takes off looking for her. Yeah, because she's missing. And then all the while watching from a skyscraper Mm -hmm. in the most Lex Luthor-esque moment of the show. Yeah, because the camera goes up to a top-down view of where they were, zooms up pans up and it starts going across the city where notably a lot of those buildings have the name Hargreaves on them especially the one that says Hargreaves Financial yes so now we see that the one and only Reginald Hargreaves has now gotten his wish with uh, his wife Abigail back by his side yeah who is long dead she's now back Mm -hmm. and he's king of the world yeah presumably in yet another timeline and I think deliberately so because he's presumably ruling, if not the city, the entire damn world. Yeah. And the only group that knows how much of an asshole he is now doesn't have the powers to stop him. And that's how it ends. Mm-hmm. Well, until we get to the mid-credit scene. Yeah, I mean, there was the first time ever mid-credit scene. Mm-hmm. And who was that? Uh, that was with Ben. I guess the show people involved with the show are calling him Ben 3.0. Uh, it was kind of like a similar... <laughs> that, sim- that makes sense. It's a similar situation. We see him on a train in South Korea, riding the train, reading a book with two umbrellas on it. 
Uh, and it, they announce that like the next stop is coming up, and he just looks at the book and smiles, and it cuts to black. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, overall, the show jumped around a lot. Yeah, it did. So if you hear us when we were given the play-by-play, it was there was a lot of moving parts, but it was centralized in between the Sparrow Academy, mm-hmm. the hotel, and the afterlife. Yeah. Like, legitimately, there was only three spots they went to. Mm-hmm. So... I will say the pluses this season, I thought the acting was very good. Yeah. Like I said, I thought that, you know, you had some very strong performances from Aiden Gallagher, Tom Hopper, Elliot Page, too. Yeah. I thought did an exceptional job. Yeah. And I thought for what the storyline was doing is, you have to remember with time travel, like we always touch upon, it does get... It's fucking confusing. It gets confusing. And especially with how much they relied on it, they showed this brand new team. They didn't really dive into a lot of the other members. I mean, you got a quick uh, original seven of the Sparrow Academy. Yeah. And they gave a quick intro, like their powers, like the one could uh, spit, like... Uh, make, certain, them, make them hallucinate. Yeah, making like a hallucinogen. And But, I mean, honestly, other than a quick fight scene here and there, they were kind of forgettable. Which, it makes sense, because at the end of the day, there's only one group you really care about. And that's the Umbrella Academy that you've grown with over the past years. I thought the show, though, definitely hit its mark when it got near the end of the season. Because mm-hmm. when you stopped playing Frenemy with the Sparrows, I thought, okay, now we're going to get onto the legitimacy of what we're doing here. Because mm-hmm. Reginald Hargraves is such a weird character to begin with. He's a, he's a completely insane Professor X of his expectations and his tough love mentality. And you got to see when he accomplished his dream of how broken it was to begin with. Mm -hmm. So now you're seeing that when he sees, okay, well, the end of the world is coming. I'm trying to do this. I have a reset button if I don't like what I've seen. And apparently he's too much of a perfectionist. Yeah. Because as we saw in season one, he couldn't handle the team doing what they were doing. He was always too tough on them and broke them. Yeah. And then you see, obviously, in season two with their mission uh, going into time travel and how he first met them. Yep. And now in three where he finally got his, perf- his perfect team, and yet they were not perfect. Mm-hmm. So he still had a reset button. It's just an interesting dichotomy of events that he winds up pulling off here. Yeah. But it still makes for an enter- entertaining season. I did, I, like I say, you just got to bear with the time travel jumps mm-hmm. in the sense of, okay, we're here, we're there, we're here, we're there. You're also jumping between 14 different people. Yeah, like that's the one thing, too. Like it, we always complain about the Walking Dead cast. This one's big. Especially for the amount of screen time they were given everybody. Like, I will say they gave enough sensitivity time for Luther's uh, relationship with Sloan. Yeah. So that made sense. Like, it wasn't forced. Like I say, they were definitely respectful of that. They definitely made that into a big focal point. I thought, though, in the entire episode eight, maybe you could cut down on it, but they really want to drive home the point of this is the end of the world and this is how they're going out. So I get that point. I'm not mad about that at all. But I think for overall, I I definitely say the season was very good. I liked it a little better than Dallas, but I liked it because once you start getting into the team versus Reginald, I think that's where they hit their strong suits. I think the fact that you had so many people playing double deals with the Sparrows took away a little bit in the beginning. I mean, maybe that's just me. No, a little bit. But I, nothing I would say it was a game breaker by by any means. I think that you should definitely go check the season out. I think you should check out the comics too. Give them a read and then get your own opinions on it. I think, though, I got to read... Uh, the last chapter of the comics, though. Mm-hmm. I have not finished that out, so I'm not going to say I'm a, a completely comfortable talking about that. But I will say it was it should be light years better than Dallas. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Dallas. It's not like a U.S. agent level of uh, dislike, but I got to say Dallas is not one of my favorite books to read. 
But this is a show that I definitely highly recommend. I think they do a great job with it. Pad, final thoughts on this? Great at season, fantastic stuff, and I'm excited for season four. Yeah, season four has been, uh, I don't think, officially, officially announced. I think they just kind of said we're coming back. But they can't leave it on a cliffhanger like this. I think the show is too popular not to. And I think now that the the uh, hype behind Stranger Things has died down a little bit, I think you're going to hear a lot more people talking about Umbrella Academy within the next couple weeks. It's going to be tough, though, with the boys' season finale coming out, though. Just putting that out there. But that being said, we gave you our take of season three of the Umbrella Academy. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Netflix hit series, The Umbrella Academy? Did you love this season? Did you hate this season and why? Let's talk about it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do your hobbies include comic books, movies, television, and or video games? Are you always behind with the latest news in the world of nerd? Well, look no further than The Oblivion Bar, a nerd culture podcast. Hosted by Chris Hacker and Aaron Knowles, The Oblivion Bar offers a weekly review of all the latest breaking news, in-depth discussions far beyond whether Han shot first, and newsletter section, where you, the listener, send in your questions to be answered live on the show. New episodes every Monday, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. I'm just so so freaking excited! You can also find us on Twitter, at OblivionBarPod. Come join us at the Oblivion Bar Podcast. Hope to see you there. Coming back for another segment of this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And Pat, it's finally time to return to the movies. Yeah. It's been long overdue, but we are finally here. Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder is going to be hitting theaters this weekend. So the hit franchise of The God of Thunder, played by the one and only Chris Hemsworth, is now returning. Taika Waititi is back in the director's seat. Natalie Portman has returned into mm-hmm. the role of Jane Foster, which I never thought I would see happen again. Yeah. Because obviously it was not exactly uh, the best uh, parting of the ways last time from uh, reports. And then Christian Bale is making his MCU debut as Gore, the God, the God Butcher. Yep. So this is going to be borrowing a lot from the Jason Aaron storyline, uh, which if you haven't read Jason Aaron's Thor, do yourself a favor. Go check it out at your local comic shops. It's fantastic. And this one uh, got uh, kind of a little polarizing reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, allegedly. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, which I don't put a ton into that. I would say this. You know what you're going to get out of this franchise because, obviously, if you've seen Thor Ragnarok, it's going to have a lot of that same humor, a lot of the same... Have you seen a Marvel movie? Have you seen a Taika Waititi Marvel movie? You know what you're getting. Yeah, so it's not exactly anything you got to worry about too much. It's a situation that I think that you're going to go in, you're going to see a very good story... If there's especially how much they want to borrow from the Jason Aaron run. I think that there's a lot of possibilities they can go with. And obviously this is going to tie in some uh, events after Avengers Endgame. We know the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to be making an appearance for how long we don't know. But this will roll into Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I would imagine. Maybe. And then after that, the MCU is going to be done for a little bit till the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Obviously we do know we have some shows coming out on Disney+. Plus. She-Hulk will be the next one coming out and then i believe secret invasion i don't know because yeah the the they have not fully announced that lineup just yet but i imagine that we're going to hear something within a couple weeks coming out of san diego comic-con so pad final preview thoughts ideas for this movie should be a lot of fun i mean listen it's the reviews are the reviews you know is opinion is subjective I'm excited to see it. You know, you got Chris Hemsworth back as Thor. You've got Christian Bale in the MCU as Gore the God Butcher. That should be awesome. You got Jane Foster is back. Taika Waititi's back. You know, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see Taika Waititi doing Guardians of the Galaxy lines because that humor should be absolutely phenomenal. 
Uh, no, I'm excited to see where it goes, and then I'm excited to see kind of where it builds off from because it doesn't feel like with these movies, like like you had uh, the Spider-Man movie, which we knew which it was going to kind of go, and then you had Doctor Strange 2, which was going to build off of that, plus WandaVision. This kind of really isn't building off of anything, so it's kind of off in its own little world and its own little thing, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I'm excited because of the Jason Aaron storyline they're going to be borrowing from. I don't know what to, to the exacts of it. I think they're going to be taking a rough outline and really rumors. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rumors circulating about this, and I think all for the right reasons, because when you are borrowing from great comic runs, and I always use Captain America, the Winter Soldier as prime example of this. That is still my favorite Marvel movie of all time, because that story from the comics is second to none. The fact that you actually brought Bucky Barnes back, who was a character that was on that trinity of you can never bring back after mm-hmm. they've been killed off. Yeah. Which has basically been just uh, dwindled down to Uncle Ben Parker. Yeah, pretty much. So he's the only person that's ever stayed dead thus far until he comes back as Venom. Just going to put that out there. Oh, no. No, <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. But for what we're going to get out of this movie, this is going to be something fun. I think that you have to go in with some light humor because that's where they're kind of taking this. That Thor in the comics is going to be a lot different than Thor in the movies. Mm-hmm. Thor in the movies is a little more lighthearted, a little more... Um, finding a zest for life, so to speak, after coming off the darkened events of Endgame where he should have taken the headshot and then it wouldn't have been in this mess to begin with. And I think that now you're going to see a lot of light and you're going to see a lot of good humor mixed in and then him trying to find his way, whatever that's going to be. We do know there's going to be a crossover with the Greek gods, with Zeus, played by the one and only Russell Crowe. Should be wild. Yeah, so that scenario is going to be absolutely crazy to see how this takes up on stage. And we know there's been coordination between the writers of Thor and then the writers of, uh, what was it, Moon Knight. Because I, I think the writer, the guy, uh, either Taika or whoever wrote the script for Thor, said in an interview they deliberately they they spoke to marvel like hey we want to collaborate with the guys from moon knight make sure we're not stepping on anything on how gods are portrayed and so you did have a little collaboration between those two writing teams and i think that's the right call to do too because obviously marvel everything's connected everything's on point everything is where it needs to be so this is a situation that for moviegoers there's a lot to be excited about this this now feels like a summer blockbuster is finally coming to the big screen and especially for marvel who I'm not saying is is taken, you know, coming off a loss by any means because let's face it, their last two movies they had come out: Spider Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, so the win streak is back on and running. I don't think there's been anything out there that suggested that this is not going to be a great movie. I, yeah. Like I say, you have to take reviews online, so it, you know, subject to change because mm-hmm. obviously a couple clicks here and there, and that can sway a lot of different things. But right, but for the most part. They've got a great script to work with. It's going to be an interesting story to see how this portrays. And then where we're going to go into from here, i got to imagine this is just going to lead into Guardians of the Galaxy. We might see quite possibly a Tom Hiddleston Loki appearance. I doubt it. They just started filming. Well, you never know. Like, But I'm saying, but if he filmed a quick cameo when this yeah, was done, like I, say, like I say, it'll be something quick if you do. But I think that you will see this lead into Guardians of the Galaxy, and then where we go from here is going to be anybody's guess. But with Marvel returning to Hall H, they definitely want to go in on a very big high note. I think all signs are going to point to this. Am I saying this is going to be the greatest movie of all time? No, but it's going to be a fun movie for the summertime. And definitely having Marvel back in the theaters is something to definitely go watch about. We will be reviewing this on next week's podcast, so we'll have a lot more to say about it. But, you know, final preview thoughts on this, Pat? Excited to see it. Excited for the bonus scenes. Yeah, I am too. Uh, Give me Beta Ray Bill. 
If I if I don't see Beta Ray Bill in this, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mad. I'm gonna be mad. I'll give it zero stars. Not a kid. I'll probably give it one. But no, but I'm expecting a lot of good things from this. I'm expecting a bonus scene with Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm hoping Beta Ray Bill. That would make a lot of sense. I wouldn't doubt Adam Warlock. Maybe. I could definitely see that cameo making an appearance here. And then if they want to try establishing what's going to be the next big phase, I think that uh, this might be the time to do it. But I could definitely see them waiting until the latter films of this year. I think that we got to keep our eyes out on that. But for what we're expecting out of this, I'm expecting to have some fun at the movie theaters. We've got a big group that we're going to go watch the showing with, so definitely have a lot to say about next week. So that being said, ODPH Society, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder going into the theaters? What's your expectations? What are you hoping to see? What are you hoping not to see? Let's have that discussion, and remember, we'll keep it spoiler-free until next week on social media. We'll give everybody the weekend to go watch the movie. So that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Got just one thing to talk about uh, in this, which came out today by complete surprise, but I'm happy to see it and happy to talk about it. We did get a new trailer, although admittedly it's only like 30 seconds, uh, a trailer for the upcoming God of War game Ragnarok, and we got a release date. Ooh. Uh, there was rumors of it getting pushed back again. They decided to quell those rumors because we found out today that it is officially getting released on November 9th, 2022. So thank you, uh, Sony Santa Monica Studios and Corey Balrog, uh, for the birthday gift because yeah. that, that's coming out on my birthday. Uh, reading from an article on the PlayStation blog, it reads uh, the headline reads, Kratos and uh, Atreus fight to survive against mounting dangers in the brand new God of War Ragnarok Father and Son CG trailer. Uh, the article reads, God of War Ragnarok is officially coming to PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 on November 9th, 2022. We're thrilled to be able to sh- uh, share our release date and the brand new God of War Ragnarok Father and Son CG trailer with all the God of War fans who have been eagerly awaiting news. We hope you enjoyed a glimpse of the, some of the dangers Kratos and Atreus could find themselves up against as Ragnarok approaches. Uh, they also did unveil a, a collector's edition, which has got a lot of stuff, including, their, I think it comes in like a 16 inch replica Mjolnir container thing. Like it's absolutely wild. Uh, You know, so you can definitely check out some of the photos are online for that though. Uh, But yeah, definitely give a trailer check out. You know, there's not much going on with it. It's a CG trailer. It just kind of shows Atreus and and Kratos going around fighting things. There is a giant wolf at one point, which is kind of like the symbol that Ragnarok's coming. Uh, But yeah, no, there's going to be a few gods to kill. Uh, Thor one, Odin's another one. There's also the whole twist with uh, Atreus's identity, which I don't want to reveal here because uh, that's a that's a that's a plot twist. No matter how much time goes by, you should experience for yourselves. But I'm super excited to get it when it comes out on November 9th. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be a game to go watch, and I know that you have that circled and then some on your calendar, and rightfully so because I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of a big deal. So for mine, uh, one quick news story, and then we're gonna be talking comics. So according to Deadline. The Duffer Brothers, Mm -hmm. who are responsible for the phenomenon known as Stranger Things, has now just formed uh, Upside Down Pictures and is committed to Netflix for several new projects. Like I said, this is quoted from the Deadline article. So the one, though, that jumped out at me about this 
is there's a new live a- live action show of Death Note coming. Yeah, because the first one went so well. Yeah, so, I mean, how are you feeling about that, Pat? Never seen it, so, eh. Okay. Yeah, they've got a bunch of new ideas coming out for this, and one of this is going to be a Stranger Things spinoff. So, obviously, with the success of that show, and definitely I'll have a lot to say about that on social media this week, this is a big deal for Netflix, especially getting that big win, because uh, Stranger Things has just been dominating everything, too. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, the last two episodes came out. You cannot escape the social media memes about it, no matter how hard you try. So if you want to go check it out, definitely. And especially for the Duffer Brothers to get their new prod- new production company up and running, that's a big deal. And this is going to be seriously big for Netflix with a lot of new content coming out. So kudos to that. So going to the comic shops, a lot of stuff coming out this week, Pat. A mm-hmm. lot, lot of good stuff. So Comixology Originals, you know I love that brand, and they definitely are doing a lot of big things there. One of my favorite books, though, is coming to a close for Season 1, and that's Red Tag. So Javier Scavone, Javier Albuquerque, and Roger Cruz are tying up the story of three friends who are fighting the good fight against uh, political corruption and definitely ending the series on an extremely high note. If you haven't checked out the book, it's very, very worthwhile. I, I thought it was a very strong ending to what has been a very surprise series for me because I wasn't sure what to expect from this. I've been blown away by this. I think the book is just tremendous. So you definitely want to go check that out on Comixology uh, Originals right now. So definitely make a point to do that. Now, from Boom Studios, one of the series that we have been following for quite some time on Parlay Points is back, and that's Basilisk number 9. So now they're heading into the final stretch of the Battle of the Chimera versus the rest of the world. Uh, what can we say? Cullen Bunn, Jonas Scharf, doing a lot of crazy things in this one. So this is kind of a setup. So Basilisk's Pad is a very intense book. I don't know if you would exactly like it because it's very uh, horror-centric oh, in, that, then no. in circumstances. But it's very, very gritty. It's very in-your-face, and they definitely presented extremely well like i personally dig it a lot i think it's a very dope book and the scene that they have announced this is going to be heading into the final chapter is going to be something exciting from the mighty Morphin power rangers universe mighty Morphin number 21 this is a book that obviously we're on that charge to 100 mac room and moises hidalgo is doing some really cool things with this and like i say to that big issue that's going to be happening with the uh legacy numbering of 100 expect some wild stuff happening here this is definitely picking up some steam and especially from where the rangers were last time where obviously the events of the altarian war they lost their command center pad oh boy they had to go get a new one so a space heist now they're back on earth and definitely picking up the pieces from a lot of storylines that are going on so you definitely want to check that out and like i say the work that's going on there is always top notch from the mighty Morphin universe over at boom and from Boom Studios as well to Once in Future, number 27, one of the best damn books on the market. And this book, I'm just going to show Pad the cover. Oh, okay. Because it is intense. It is as good as it is. Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora, who Dan Mora might be the best artist in comics right now, just putting it out there. Definitely coming up with some wild takes about everybody's favorite trio, trying to definitely stop the supernatural and then some and keep balance in the world. It is just a, it's a fantastic book. I mean, I, I recommend it all the time and I definitely want to keep recommending it too. There is just so much cool with that book. It's not even funny. Like you definitely want a cool read. That is what you need to check out. And then coming from DC comics, Batman One Twenty Five. 
Chip Zdarsky has taken over the Helms at Writing Pad. Oh. So this is a must-read for anybody. His work is always, always, always top shelf, so you definitely want to keep an eye out for that. And last but not least, we have to do a special programming announcement. So coming out at some point, I think we'll drop that episode on Monday, if not sooner. Uh, myself and Tom from Off the Cuff Gamings and that hashtag show are going to be talking to Melissa Flores about a book coming out from the Massive Universe. You know Radiant Black. You know Rogue Sun. We talk about it all the time. The Dead Lucky will be coming out August 3rd, so we're going to be talking to Melissa about that and a whole bunch more. Super excited to talk about that, and definitely make sure you get down to your local comic shops. Get the uh, pre-order in by July 11th for The Dead Lucky. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. I can't wait to talk about that episode. Uh, can't wait to talk to Melissa about the book and everything going on with that. So make sure you drop that follow to the ODPH and you won't miss that episode when we decide to drop it. And as always, support your favorite LCS and your favorite independent comic podcast. Ah, that said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout at the robots. They're fantastic people. They do a lot of really cool things. Pad, if I want to find out more about them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Shout. Brian Wolf. Yard Party, Floodlands, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu. The list goes on and on, but it's all fantastic people. Also, while you're on the website, we already talked about Parley Points. You want to get blog recommendations when you go to the LCS? Boom, it's right there. You want to get Dre Driven's take on Miss Marvel? Boom, it's right there. You want to get Coach Duffy's random sports comments? Boom, it's right there. How about some pro wrestling talk? Bam, it's right there. Anything you need for more extra content, we put it out there for you for free, so definitely go check that out. Also, while you're there, go check out the directory, because, Pat, how many providers are we on now? 76,000. Wow, that's an even number. Like, boom. Yeah. So definitely go check that out. Um, and if we're not on your favorite podcast provider, let us know. We'll try getting on there. If not, and you're like, man, I wish I could remember to hit that follow button for you. We put it right there. So you just hit follow. It's on all the major providers. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Good Pods. Basically, if you are listening to any podcast, you should go right there and just hit your follow and definitely drop that five-star review for us, too. It does help the algorithm. Also, check out the Classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 8122 Productions, Dragon Master Games, Excite Wrestling, and also Organizational Link Support and Black Lives Matter, Voter Registration, and all the amazing links to the pod groups that we are in. So shout-out to the Inner Circle. Shout-out to the Apocalypse. We're all doing big things over here. And, of course, 607 Podcasts. All that, the T-Public Store, and so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Pat O'Neill, thank you, thank you. I'm your host Ken. M. thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.
you now.